Sego and welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane. I will be joined by Regan DeLoggins today. Um, look, we're at the end of the year, and so we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, of course, we've got some other issues to always talk about as well. Uh, I got to say, um, December is not a great month for Native people. And, you know, I, I posted on Facebook, uh, you know, this week. And, and, in fact, I reposted a post from last year where I talked about December being a month of extremes. And, you know, from a Native standpoint, look, yesterday was the anniversary of the massacre at Wounded Knee. And that came on the heels of the murder of, uh, of Sitting Bull. Um, we, uh, that's, that's in 1890. Going back farther into... 1862, we have the, uh, the, the largest mass execution in the history of the United States, which is the Dakota 38. Um, they were executed in a massive gallows um, the day after Christmas in Mankato, Minnesota in 1862. Um, just some, some real tragic history associated with, with the month. And of course, th then there's, there's personal loss. I, you know, I lost my, my son-in-law a, a decade ago. Uh, father of two of my grandchildren uh, to cancer, way too young for for somebody to experience this kind of thing. Um, we've had two years of of the pan of this pandemic, which shows no sign of lightening up. Uh, in fact, every day new records are being set. Um, I lost a dear friend, and I'm going to talk about my friend uh, James uh, during this program. But I lost a dear friend just a couple of days ago uh, to COVID. His wife is also in the hospital uh, uh, today as we, as we speak. Um, but I want to tell, I mean, I, I want to personalize um, not only a, a personal friendship of mine, but I don't want these numbers to be faceless and nameless, these, these people. My sister also is um, over a year now experiencing long-haul COVID uh, symptoms. Uh, and... Very debilitating, unable, you know, unable to go back to work. She's my older sister. She's you know approaching retirement age, but um, uh, and she and she's a healthcare professional. And, and when she contracted COVID, uh, there was no um, vaccine available. So I want to talk about that. And it's it really is concerning to me that we um, that there's been such politicized, you know, it's been so politicized the whole uh, mask wearing and vaccine. And from a native standpoint, I've seen it become a bit of a cultural dividing line as well. Um, and look, there's nobody who has more distrust for the federal government and even state government. And, and frankly, what the American uh, culture has done to or for native people. There's nobody who's got greater distrust than I do. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm vaccinated. And, and I've gotten a booster shot. And, and I know there are many um, that are advocating against doing that. And, and I'm not advocating for people to get, uh, to, to get vaccinated or not. But I'm not going to shame somebody who does. And that's the part that concerns me. And what I've seen politically and then even culturally, this sense that somehow... Um, that, that, that I'm a sheep or, or those, who, those of us who have been vaccinated that we've, we've, we've somehow bought, you know, bought into the, the BS or we're drinking the Kool-Aid or, or whatever is being said. I'm neither a sheep nor am I ashamed of having uh, to take, using my own judgment, by the way, 
to, to do what I think is necessary to protect myself, my family, and, my, and the friends that, uh, that I do still come into contact with. Look, I haven't been to New York City in, uh, since March of 2020. And there doesn't seem to be any real let up that's going to suggest that, uh, that, that I should. I've been doing the show remotely since, again, since, since March of 2020. And, of course, New Year's celebrations are going to happen in Times Square. All the stuff, everything's going to keep going on. People are going to, you know, pretend that, you know, that this isn't really that deadly. Well, I'm here to tell you, I just, I lost a friend of mine who has been a friend of mine for over 30 years. Somebody that, uh, you know, and James and his name, which does not um, die with him, uh, was uh, Sogoyeta. But James Gray was not just a dear friend. We, we were partners. We, we, we worked together. We stood together on so many issues, uh, native issues. He's from Akwasasne. Um, uh, I was close to his, to his family. James suffered the loss of his daughter to cancer, child leukemia. She, man, she was, she was tough. She, she endured so much for so long, and she, you know, she made it to her teens. And against all odds, made it to her teens. Uh, and then shortly after losing his daughter, he lost his son to cancer. And part of this, you know, although there's been no real direct line, you know, drawn for this, part of the issue has to do with the contamination that takes place because of the, the, the plants that exist along the St. Lawrence, which is where uh, Aquasasne is located. And, and I, and I got to think that there's, well, I know there's cancer clusters up there, but, you know, there, there's been stories over the years that talk about some of the, uh, the health issues associated with, you know, Reynolds Aluminum, the GM plant, a couple of plants on the, on the Canadian side as well. Um, and so this is the cost that comes to, to Native people. And I got to tell you, and, I, and I'll get back to this again, but COVID-19 has been devastating to Native people. And I know a lot of people say, well, it's because Native people have poor health care. That's not necessarily true. There's, there's other things going on here. And, and of course, part of the thing is, you know, is, is a history of some of the genetic differences that, you know, that, that Native people have and, and our, our susceptibility to, to diseases that, that non-Native people have um, probably endured for longer periods of time, different, uh, you know, viruses and that kind of stuff brought from Europe and that kind of thing. But, but again, getting back to, to, to James, um, look, after his, his daughter passed away, they did a, um, a benefit concert to, to raise money for a foundation in her name, Uelis. Um And uh, I emceed that event. And, and I had some of the, the people that, that, frankly, I've introduced to many of you, uh, Murray Porter, Jimmy Wolf, uh, Jeff Doreen. I've had uh, Pura Fay was there. So many, you know, what I think are the standout musicians uh, across Native territories. And, and there were many more. Um, uh, one of the guys from 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 Redbone, uh, you know, was was there as well. I mean, it was, it was it was quite a concert. I mean, it, it wasn't a rousing success, but it was socially, and and it brought many of us together. And I had the privilege of emceeing that. Um, and and I and I'll tell you, uh, James's son um, was very active in in helping pull off this event, and he was sick at that time, 
unbeknownst to many of us. And so James would lose his son after that. And, and, I, and, and the story gets deeper. And I, and I want to tell this because, again, I want people to understand what I, – I want people to understand the depth of some of these stories, put it that way. One of the things that happened after James's um, son passed away, um, like so many other Native people, uh, James has diabetes or had diabetes, and he developed um, a problem with with one of his feet and uh, got very sick. And his wife called me in desperation and said, "Look, um, James is going to die if they don't take his foot." And she pleaded with me to to. Travel and it's a, you know it's a four and a half almost five hour drive um, to travel to Aquasasni and uh, and speak with him and and at some you know he, he was actually not even the most coherent through through a lot of this but I went, I, I made the trip and you know talked to go sit with my old friend in the hospital this was up in Malone I believe yeah, it was Malone Hospital and um, and we spoke and, and it was mostly <laughs> he always joked because when, when we talk it's Usually me doing most of the talking. <laughs> well, that was the case that day too. And I did. I convinced him to allow uh, to approve the surgery to to take his foot. And that was several years ago. And it was a privilege to have these remaining years with James because he was essentially ready to to let nature take its course. You know, and again, some of these diseases that we've been afflicted by since European contact, I'm not sure how natural they are. And we can debate COVID and all that other stuff as well. But, uh, but anyway, I, I think James was at that place to, um, you know, to basically uh, let, you know, let his infection, uh, you know, take over. Um, and myself and others, we were able to talk him into um, hanging with us, staying with us for a few more years. Now, James was, a, was an artist. He was a, a, a tremendous painter and um, uh, um, sketch artist. Um, he was the Turtle Clan representative for the Longhouse in Aquasasne. Um, he actually sat in, uh, whether it was official or not, as, as the war chief for, for Aquasasne for a period of time. And as I said, we, we worked and traveled together. It's funny, we went to, we, we made a West Coast trip um, to meet with Native people on the West Coast. And uh, we flew into Seattle and drove down into Northern California. And along the way, uh, in Oregon, we stopped. And uh, Smoke Signals, the film, uh, was just being released. And it wasn't playing in any major theaters. And in fact, it never has played in major theaters. But independent theaters uh, played it. And we found this place in Eugene, Oregon. It was a converted church that we went to watch um, Smoke Signals as it, uh, and again, it was, it was a brand new film. And we sat right up front, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a movie theater. It was, it was a church converted, and it was, you know, it didn't get incredibly dark in there. So we wanted to make sure that we could see well, so we sat up front, and, uh, you know, basically it was all white people sitting behind us. And, you know, for those of you who have not seen Smoke Signals, it's, um, it's, it's a pretty funny film. I mean, it, it's, it's got a serious storyline to it, but uh, there's much of it that, uh, that as, as a Native person, we find very humorous, and, and frankly, non-Native people do as well. But when you're the only two Native people, both, both of us sitting up front with our ponytails hanging out back, <laughs> and white people sitting behind us, there was this real sense that until James and I laughed, 
the white folks didn't know whether to laugh or not. <laughs> and we, we both, we, we commented and joked about that for years after about how we had to be the cue for, for whether the white folks who were in that theater um, thought it was appropriate to laugh or not. And I was just never sure, quite sure, is that supposed to be funny or is it just funny to me kind of thing. Um, I've got so many, so many stories. And, you know, the, when I got the call um, very early on, uh, on the 28th that, uh, that James had passed away, um, it was like a kick in the stomach. It, it, it just it hurt. And, and part of the thing that, that bothers me, and, I, and this is not a criticism to, to James or to any of my friends, especially my older friends, but I know this whole COVID thing has left people indifferent about many things associated with, with both the disease, where it comes from, um, and the mistrust for its origins, for its cures, for its treatment, all of that stuff is not only been politicized, but it's been culturalized. And there are many Native people who just say, oh, I'm not buying it, I'm not buying it. And so I sit here today with many friends who refuse to be vaccinated out of, out of just pure distrust, mistrust. And, 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 and in many ways, it, it's more than that. Because what happens is, it's not just that, that there, there's a refusal to get a vaccine. There's almost a condemnation that, you know, that is, you know, exhibited towards those who do. So uh, as if to shame it. Now, look, I, I have no shame in telling anybody, Native people, non-Native people, that I've been vaccinated. I, I have, you know, folks in my family who have underlying conditions. I have um, my father-in-law who's in his late 70s who lives in, in, my, in my household. Um, and I'm certainly going to do whatever I can. Now, look, I understand that where this is, that it is um, perhaps more contagious. And, and, and a vaccine may not prevent you from from you know becoming infected or infecting others but it the likelihood is that it will keep you from from dying and and keep you from having to go to a hospital and 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 the suggestion that it doesn't offer some level of protection against uh transmission is 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 really patently false but um at least again none of us are responsible for this information we we get to decide and choose what information we're going to uh, allow us to use in our judgment and what's not. I'm not condemning anybody who won't get vaccinated. Um, but I will condemn a certain level of aloofness or um, throwing caution to the wind and, and to the extent that people's behavior jeopardizes themselves and others. That, you know, I, I can offer my, uh, my own criticism and make my own judgment about what I think is bad behavior. Um, but I understand. I understand the mistrust associated with um, with the medical profession, with the government. Uh, look, uh, we don't have to go all the way back to the smallpox smallpox blankets to understand what Native people have experienced um, at the hands of uh, of those who seem to you know know better. Um, we had a mortality rate of over fifty percent in residential schools when there was treatment for tuberculosis, and they knew there were things that they could do, that uh, cer certainly quarantining. But for whatever reason, 
Native people have been um, affected by this disease in many ways worse than, than other people. And, and, and again, is it tied to poverty? Is it tie, you know, tied to the quality of the food that we eat, to, you know, water, uh, you know, the, the health care? Yeah, probably. But I don't, we can't put our fingers on it exactly. You know, there's too much that's not known. But the numbers don't lie. And, you know, of course, we've all seen many of the numbers that have come out of Navajo territory. But as I sit here in Seneca territory, I'm going to tell you, our numbers as a percentage of population are not great. And I know young people who barely escaped death from this. And when I say young people, I'm talking about in, in 20s and 30s. So I know how, um, how dangerous this is. And it doesn't look like this is, is coming anywhere close to an end. And because there is transmission even amongst those who are vaccinated or who have previously had it, that, you know, we've been told over and over again that transmission is where the mutations happen. So we don't know what comes after Omicron. So as this year ends, it ends with tragedy. Now, look, I, I'm going to say um, I understand that there's holidays. You know, there, there are holidays, holy days. Obviously, you know, Christmas is a, a, a huge commercial holiday. Um, the New Year's, uh, you know, that's coming upon us is, you know, a huge holiday, especially in New York City. But, you know, I had a birthday this month. <laughs> Reggie, Reggie, happy birthday on air here. Reggie's birthday was, was this month. Uh, I share this month as a birth month for, with, with many friends. It was, my, uh, it was my mother's birth, birth month as well. I share this, this month, which you would think would be a, a month to celebrate um, a year. But it's, it's tough. You know, December is not a, not a kind month. Um, and it isn't just not a kind month incidentally. It, is, it has been a harsh month because of U.S. policy, aggression, you know, massacres. Um, so even when we attempt to put as positive spin, as positive a spin as we can because of birthdays or holidays or whatever else, we still have that looming hanging over us. And it's inescapable. And, and of course, when you combine that with the current pandemic, which is entering its third year, um, and frankly, the highest infection rates that uh, you know, the United States and certainly New York State has experienced since this whole thing began. I mean, I think the number yesterday was, was like 460,000 people infected in a single day. I mean, that just, that blew the roof off of what, what happened last January. And it looks like New York, which, you know, which was ground zero for the, uh, uh, you know, for this disease in 2020, in the very beginning, um, after it got passed by California and Texas and Florida, it looks like New York is, is catching Florida. So, you know, and, the, the current, you know, whether it's the, the mayor of New York or the governor of New York, there doesn't seem to be any really meaningful policies that has, has helped. You know, I know Cuomo tried to take all kinds of credit for things after, uh, which was really a debacle. Um, but, you know, the current governor was, was part of his administration. And the numbers are worth under, worse under, uh, you know, uh, Kathy Hochul than they, than they were under Cuomo. Yet she gets a pass. So I don't know, this is, it, it's hard as we end this year and we wish and hope for the best 
in the new year, I have a hard time saying happy new year. I, I, I wish everybody a happy new year, but it's hard to celebrate the year that we're going into knowing what we're bringing into this new year. I will take this, this moment though, uh, to remind people that, that we are listener supported radio. And one of the things that, that is worth celebrating is the fact that we have a station that allows us the diversity that no other station does. Um, and, and look, I, there, there's nothing more diverse than throwing somebody like, somebody like Regan and I on the air uh, to offer an opinion that I'm sure most people in New York have never heard. And of course, the show broadcasts in Washington and a few other uh, Pacific affiliates are, um, are broadcasting the show. So we know that, that this voice gets out there because of WBAI. So we need you. We need you as this year ends, and we're at the very end of our, of our tower fund drive. So we, we need you to stay on the air, to keep doing what we're doing. And look, I know that if, it's hard to listen to WBI and be happy because sometimes there's, so, there's such bad news to be, to be shared. But the reason we have to talk about these things is so we can improve things, so we can get better. So I ask you to support uh, WBAI during its Tower Fund drive, and you can go to towerfund.wbai.org and make a contribution. Or you can go over to the regular website, wbai.org, and follow the prompts. You can also call our uh, pledge line, which is 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. And you can make a contribution of any size. And look, if you're not catching this show on WBAI, if you're listening it as a podcast uh, after I put Resistance Radio up, and you want to support this station, by all means, you can do it anytime. But if you've got a Pacifica station that, that you normally listen to, or, or if you're listening to the show on another Pacifica station, then support your Pacifica station. We are all listener-supported radio. But WBAI is, is a special market. It is a special station. I mean, and it's special to me because that's, that's why I'm on the air here. Um, but, it, but it also represents a, a, one, of the, one of the biggest radio markets in the world. And as much as our small station struggles, we know that you're out there. We know that there are plenty of people out there who listen to the station. Some of you contribute. Some of you donate, you know, not only every fund drive, but, you know, some of you are, are regular contributors. But some of you aren't. So if you do contribute and you can throw an extra $5 a month towards us, then, then please do. Become a WBAI buddy. And if you haven't contributed, and look, however you need to do it, I mean, whether you can do it as a delayed payment, whether you uh, do it as a time payment where you're doing something once a month in, in the buddy program, whether you, you know, um, list us in your will, and, and become a legacy donor, essentially. But become a member of the station. Be, you know, support what we're doing here. And let's hope that the conversations that you hear here, whether it's for your you know, personal improvement, whether it's health, whether it's, you know, whether it's, it's just the music and entertainment you get out of the station. But if it's the information, let's hope that some of this improves, improves your view of the world. I don't mean improves your opinion of it, because I think the way, to, the way we need to, to fix things is to become aware of the problem. And, and that's what we try to do here. We do try to talk about the real is issues. 
some of them historical, some of them, some of them contemporary. Look, as I talk about things like mascots, which is a very contemporary issue, I tie them directly to some of the systemic problems that affect Native peoples. As I talk about the, the massacre of Wounded Knee, I have to bring up the fact that nine days before that massacre, which happened just yesterday, on December 20th, long before my birthday, but that was on my birthday, December 20th, a, um, an editor of the Saturday Pioneer wrote an, uh, the first of two what we call genocide editorials in the Saturday Pioneer in, uh, in Dakota Territory, where he called for our extermination. He called for the military, essentially, to kill us all, to annihilate us. Nine days later, they did, right there in Wounded Knee. So I bring this up because we, we question sometimes, what does the media mean? What, uh, what does social media mean? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, did, did the massacre on Wounded Knee happen directly because, uh, because of this editor, who happened to be, by the way, L. Frank Baum, the writer and the author and creator of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, famed, beloved, American author who, as an editor, called for our annihilation. And by the way, if you don't know the real story of the, the wonderful Wizard of Oz, you realize that it's a bit of a political commentary. And all of the evils represented in the Wizard of Oz are supposed to symbolize Native people. The dangers of the wilderness, that was us. So L. Frank Baum called, as the editor of a newspaper, and look, it may have been in, Aber in, in, in Dakota territory, but these newspapers slipped out to the cities because this was, it was really popular to read about Native people. So he basically called for our annihilation. And then he said, why not annihilation? Their glory has fled. Their, uh, their, their spirit is broken. Their manhood has been effaced. Better that they die than live the miserable riches, wretches that they are. Then he said, in later ages, people will speak of us as the grand kings of the forest and plains. And talked about how James Fenimore Cooper propped us up and heroized us. And so, and, and I use that story not only as a preface to talk about the massacre at Wounded Knee, but also as the foundation for, for what the mascot issue is anyway. I mean, it's this idea of erasing who we were and how we were treated and how we were viewed by white people, and then create this other noble savage imagery, which is false, which is a lie. And then you, then you, and you create that, not for us, you create it for yourself, so you can call yourselves the Indians or the Redskins or the Warriors or the Redmans or the Raiders or whatever. So when I talk about the history, it, it's because it's relevant to what we're going, going through today. The idea that, that schools will, will have white kids playing Indian, where for over 100 years, Native kids were killed and had the Indian in them killed in the kill the Indian, save the man policy. This is the kind of stuff that, that you're not going to hear anywhere else except for here on WBAI, BAI, on Resistance Radio. Nobody is going to talk as candidly and bluntly about these issues as Regan and I will. We're going to tell you how these things affect us and the wrongs associated with this and how it isn't even just a right and left thing. We experience racism as strongly from the left 
the previous governor, the current governor, many of the people who sit in Congress, certainly in state legislatures, we, we experience, experience racism from the left and from the right. I say it all the time. Racism isn't a right thing. It's a white thing. And we experience racism actually a little differently than, than some. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm certainly not saying it's better. But that when you can treat a people as if we don't exist, then it's easy to dismiss us. It, you erase us. Erase our, our, our perspective. That's why I am so indebted to WBAI, because you can't erase a voice that's blasting out on the radio every week, that's, that's going out as a podcast every week. So again, I ask you to support this station so voices like Regan's and mine can still be heard. I'll give you the numbers again. The, number, the pledge line is 212-209-2950. The Tower Fund has a specific website set up. It's called Tower Fund dot wbai.org uh, you can go to the regular website which is wbai.org and follow the prompts there however you can do it look i uh, and i say this not to be self-deprecating i'm not a big fundraiser for the station i know that i'm not but i know some of you who are listening appreciate what you hear from regan and i each week and and I know that many of you have this radio station on your ra playing on your radio 24-7. So you may have donated to other programs. And, and look, it, I hate to say it's, it's a competition, but, but in, in, in a way, it is. I mean, because every station that raises money uh, sends a signal to, uh, to, to management about how much you value what you're listening to. And I know it's tough because if you listen to, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten programs a, a day or a week, um, you know, it, sometimes it can be tough choices if you feel like you got to vote with your dollars. And, and, and it's not exactly that. But if, if you can make a donation and you can do it in the name of this radio, uh, this station and this program, uh, I greatly appreciate it. The main thing is the, the donations go to the station. I, Regan, and many of us that you hear on a daily basis are volunteers. We, um, we, 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 are, we donate our time this is our gift to the station. And so what we do is we ask you for yours. Reggie, what's up? Oh, nothing going on. Hey, um, I, you was doing your thing. I'm just <laughs> like, hey, you know, I'm, I, there's nothing for me to say. I'm just like, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, let me, agree. for those who don't know, it was Reggie's birthday this month as well. <laughs> Actually, I, it was I, a couple of days just, after yours. Yeah, so it was a few days after mine. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh at least I can do a little bit of cheer because <laughs> I know when you listen to this state, this show, sometimes you, you're, you're hearing a lot of tough stuff because look, this is resistance radio. What Regan and I are delivering here is some really uncomfortable truths. That's what we do. That's well, that's we do. the beauty. That is the beauty of what you bring to the table. What Regan brings to the table. There's these things. Look, you're not going to sugarcoat this. Neither will Regan. And the reason why you're, you, you have the privilege to not sugarcoat this stuff is because of the, um, the donations and the appreciation that comes from the financial support from listeners. You bring stuff that needs to be heard. 
not whether they want to hear good news. You want to give them, in order for good news to happen, you got to give them the bad. You got to give them what has happened. You got to embrace all of the scope of history, whether it's bad or good, in order for change, to, in, in order for change for the better to happen. That is the thing, because we're, I, I, as you and Regan have said many of times in the past, the time to feel good, the time to not give you bad news, whether, you know, in, in the long run, to detriment all of us, is beyond that. We need to understand where we are in order to fix it so we can get back into the good news. Well, and, and New York can be a bit of its own silo, right? I mean, and we understand that. I mean, in spite of the fact that it's, it represents, you know, 10 million people within the, the area, um, it, it can be a little bit siloed. And you, you can realize that <laughs> there's, a, there's a much bigger area outside of New York City that's part of New York oh, State. Oh, yeah. You know, and, you know, and, and so the politics is diverse across that. I mean, I, there's a whole lot of people who don't even know how many native territories there are in yes. New York State. Um, mm -hmm. Look, many people in New York are familiar with native people on walking high steel and putting up the, you know, the tops of these skyscrapers yes. for, for yes. decades. My father was among, among those people. But they are very, very limited in their understanding about who native people are and where we live, what we do. I mean, I, I've been doing this show for since this pandemic started from, from my, you know, from my home my studio in, uh, on, on the Cattaraugus territory, not a home studio, but uh, a studio um, on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca nation. And there's a whole different life that exists here. And, and we can measure the effects of COVID. We can measure the effects of, uh, of political unrest and social unrest because we are a, a defined community. But I'll tell you, there's, Folks like Regan living in the city who've got to experience it with a really, really dominant culture all around them. And so it's a different dynamic to what and that's why it's so great that that the Regan has joined this this program and, and is, is so much a part of what we do here, because Regan's offering that perspective as a as a native, a, a strong, outspoken native person living in New York City. Um, as opposed to somebody like myself, who's a strong, outspoken Native person who's essentially living on a Native territory, uh, you know, far from the, the hustle and bustle, right? So, um, but, but it's important that, that the folks in New York, and, and look, I say it all the time, when I used to be able to do the live events there in, in the city, the thing that I used to hear the most was how much, whether it was a film or a guest or a speaker or, you know, musician, how much I would hear some people say, I don't, I can't believe how much my education has betrayed me. I didn't know about <laughs> Mankato, Minnesota. I didn't know about the, the ex, uh, Lincoln's execution order of the 38 Dakota. I didn't know the details associated with the massacre on Wounded Knee or Sand Creek or, or any of these other, other, you know, things. Or what the Native people experienced right there, right there in New York. The, the, the Lenape the, who were massacred by the Dutch in Manhattan. You know, or how you know, how mistreated the, the Lenape have been from the, from the very, very beginning. And, and even as they now still live in, uh, in uh, uh, Ramapo and some of those areas in, in the New Jersey, uh, New York uh, border in that area. It's, 
you know, and, and Michael G actually went out and, and traveled out to one of their their celebrations to be a, to be a part of it. One that I remember that that the the local people were trying to protest and fight against, and were trying to shut down. And so this is the effect that we have when we have a space on the on the radio dial, a, a space on in the in the broadcast grid for WBAI, and and it has to be you know we can't do it without the support of listeners. Right. And you must have been feeling the energy of Regan because Regan is here. Don't tell her, tell her that we were talking about her while she uh, talking about Regan. Regan, Regan, Regan. 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 Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Let me just get oh, this. Up. I hope y'all can hear me. Oh, you just got real good. L yes. Let's continue. Vast improvement. Okay, great, great, great. Let's continue with this then. All Hi, right. y'all. <laughs> Regan, it is so great. Hey. You know, look, in, in spite of the fact that we always, uh, we, we kind of throw pails of cold water on people if they're, if they're feeling too good sometimes. But uh, look, there's, there's nothing that I enjoy more than, than having this time with you each week on the, on the radio. Of course. It's always been such a pleasure. Well, and I know because you are there, and I was just mentioning the fact that, that you and I bring such different perspectives because you're a Native person living surrounded by an incredibly, you know, diverse but dominant culture around, or diverse dominant cultures, I should say, around, and, I'm, mm -hmm. and I live on a Native territory. But, but what you're experiencing, especially some of this environmental degradation, just continues to be so problematic, whether, whether it's fighting a pipeline there in Brooklyn or whether it's finding a pipeline in, in Minnesota. I mean, it's, uh, it, the, it, it's incredible. And, and if you're going to give us an update on some of, on, 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 on a new attack on the environment. Uh, so I'll, I'll cut you loose on this one. Go ahead. As, as always, you know, it's such an interesting, <laughs> I was just talking to a friend about this. It just feels as though the um, land defense doesn't stop. There's never a break truly for, uh, for advocating for the, for the lands and the water, especially in New York City, which a lot of people, you know, we assume New York City is the sacrifice zone because it's the epicenter of global capitalism and therefore it's not worth our time or effort uh, to try to save. But, you know, we, we can't forget that, you know, I myself as a guest on these lands, like uh, I am not Lenape. And so working in, uh, in conjunction to my own, uh, in, in conjunction with my own uh, practices, it's imperative that I get involved in the fights here in uh, in New York City, and one of the one of the new ones, I guess you could say, is the destruction of the East River Park. Um, for those who are unaware, the East River Park uh, is <clears throat> excuse me, East River Park is right along the East River. It's in uh, south it's southeast Manhattan, um, and there has been an immense amount of destruction and the 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 you know the murdering of over. Well, what will be 1,000 trees once the project is complete, and as of right now, it's about halfway complete, and it's been uh, really this demolition of this park, which of course is an environmental injustice and a public health crisis for the Lower East Side, for the East Village, where so many people of color, elderly and low-income people live and rely on this park to access to a green space. Um, and you know, especially during the pandemic, the community needs access to parkland for physical health, for mental health, a place to be outside, a place to maintain social distancing. And there is no other park nearby. Um, and it's, in fact, uh, the, the NYCHA campus that is adjacent to the East River Park have already lost hundreds of trees and their green spaces um, 
and are even gardening on the patches of grass that run along the highway that uh, uh, on FDR, uh, FDR uh, Drive. And so you can see like an immense amount of, you know, degradation and demolition in this area already. But recently this um, FEMA uh, flood control project has started, which is not real. Um, this is not how you do flood control by destroying trees. In fact, it does the opposite. Um, but it's part of this land grab to destroy the East River Park. Um, as I said, about 500 trees have been cut already of the 1,000 that exist uh, that exist in that area, and uh, including also the demolition of a community amphitheater that has been around since 1941. So this is an immense amount of like cultural importance and uh, community importance that this park holds. Uh, there's a lot of people that go fishing along the East River Park. Uh, I've been fishing along the East River Park. It's just like really, uh, it's it's an incredible amount of destruction in this small amount of space that so many people, specifically people of color that live in the projects that, that uh, are adjacent to the park, rely on for access to land, for access to water, for access to, um, you know, space. And it's been, uh, it's been really, you know, it's been really devastating for the community. And it's a uh, $1.45 billion project uh, with it began with fencing about 60% of the park was fenced off uh, late last year. And now they're fencing off part of the Northern park to cut down all of these trees. And these trees are like a hundred years old, you know, uh, and you see how important they are to the space, to the community and for them to just be destroyed. So callously uh, is really just a, it's a continuation of a lot of the environmental destruction that we, that we see. And uh, part of the plan is to cover the park in eight feet of, um, imported fill as this idea of like flood protection and then they want to rebuild the park on top which has a timeline of, of over five years which makes no sense to build a park on top of an elevated area as flood protection when the park in itself already provides that so you know there's a lot of people that are involved in this including um there's an, an the what's called the uh, East River Park Action Group, as well as 1,000 People, 1,000 Trees that have been really holding it down in the space for the past year or so. Um, every day there's a meeting at 1 p.m. in the space uh, to bring awareness, to meet with to community members, to talk about the importance of the space, to mourn the trees that are being lost. Uh, I participated in a um, in a in a community event a little over a year ago at this point for the same kind of thing. But now we're really seeing it rev up as they're destroying all of these trees within, you know, within, within weeks, within, they cut down all these 500 trees with just within the past couple weeks. And I went out yesterday to, to look at the site and honestly, it, it was devastating. It's just, all the trees are gone and there's all this construction equipment and people have hung these banners all around the area, you know, calling for this destruction to end and it's being ignored by um, a number of uh, a number of politicians of course as we talk about so often on this radio show politicians are not people we can rely on for change and so I think that uh, I think that a lot of us are kind of grappling with this idea of what it means to do nonviolent direct action um, unsuccessfully whether for pipelines or whether for trees and also what it looks like to like move with community to reclaim this space and so I definitely want folks to know that if you are in the New York City area, this wonderful park that provides such an important um, access to land is being destroyed right now. And that if you are interested 
there are two groups to get involved with, which are the East River Park Action Group, and the other is 1,000 People, 1,000 Trees. And I, I highly recommend folks get involved. We need more people to show up, to hold space, to, to inform their neighbors, to, you know, to grow this fight as we do any other fight. Because for so many, as I said previously, you know, we, we imagine New York City as this, you know, this, this sacrificial lamb that it doesn't matter. But in fact, it is still indigenous land. And it is it deserves a land defense like any other land defense does. Well, you know, the crazy part is, you know, there are some very, very lucrative contracts that have been dished out, doled out to, you know, to, you know, some probably some very influential corporations to make uh, to do all this work. Um, when I and when I think about some of these parks in the first place, and Central Park comes to mind, is while I really do value the parks, um, even their histories first involved wiping out Native people who lived in those areas, so they could have these protected green spaces for 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 non-Native people, and you know, and 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 when that doesn't seem to hold its value amongst the the people uh, who will have the power and influence, then those too will will go by the wayside. And and even though the the claim is that the the park is is going to be preserved, they're going to preserve it by destroying it first. I mean, it's it's really just an incredible um, uh, logic that that has to be employed here to to make this you know to make this go. And of course, you know this is where you know planned funds, uh, you know whether it's you know. The, the hope that build back better is going to get passed and all these, these dollars, you know, there are people chomping at the bit, the, you know, about where, who's going to get that money, right. And, and how it's going to be distributed. And it's going to be projects like this that are oftentimes going to be, you know, just funnel its way back into the, into the, into the corporate, uh, the, the corporate pot of greed. And, you know, the reality is also that a five-year plan for something that is not useful, um, is not an excuse or a justification to destroy people's livelihoods, that there are other ways to combat um, or to push back on floodplain or a necessary like flood um, emergency program. Uh, there are other ways to provide stability that is not this. And it's so obvious that this is not a helpful way to uh, to combat that and so many people have been and also like you know we cannot forget that a lot of you know luxury condos are also part of <laughs> part of this plan um and i don't know where they quite fit in in terms of combating um flood plane uh, flood uh, flooding rather so i think that it's just it, it's just so obvious a uh a li you know lip service it's so obvious uh that this is not the intention of of what is going on and also that the community doesn't want this and that they want their park and they want these trees and they want their space to be respected. Um, and it hasn't been. And, and I think there's like a really important conversation to be had about the intersection between um, the projects that are so close and this park's destruction. And the reality is that the projects that are so close, the NYCHA housing that runs adjacent to this park, you know, of course, is filled with black and brown people and therefore are also seen as expendable and that their park space is not useful or or something that they deserve, um, which is you know abhorrent and part of uh, why environmental uh, justice can be so racist. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really want folks to understand that like in doing 
this work, it is imperative that we uplift the voices of those who are the most impacted. And of course, it's black and brown people in the same way that when we talk about the Brooklyn pipeline going through black and brown neighborhoods, like that is, if you look at the root of the pipeline, it avoids white gentrified neighborhoods because they are worth saving because they have access to money and put money back into uh, into the economy. And that's, you know, of course, even white people are expendable, but they're seen as at least part of the the monster that is capitalism. So like it's imperative though, and we'll maintain colonialism at all costs. So th- those two are working, you know, um, hand in hand with one another. So I just need people to understand that it's not just like this pipeline is going through Brooklyn, it's going through black and brown neighborhoods. It's not like this park is just being cut down. It's being cut down in front of a black and brown neighborhood. Like that is a problem in itself. And it's grotesque to see how quickly uh, black and brown people are also deemed as part of the sacrifice zone. You know, we are we can take the toxins of a pipeline and we can uh, not breathe air (laughs) like it's just an it's an absurdity and it's so it's so important for folks to understand that the environmental injustices that are happening in new york city specifically target black and brown uh neighborhoods and communities and that if you are in fact working to be uh in you know cahoots with the with people of color that these are the fights that we need people to come to we need people to come to the meetings we need people to show up uh to the actions. We need people to become more vocal about these destructions because that's actually how we do anti-racist work. Well, and, and, and that, again, this is the part that concerns me is because we, we don't, we know that we can't count on the politicians and the whole, the whole system that creates these politicians. I mean, um, you know, I, as people, you know, we're so quick to, to see Cuomo ushered out the door Nobody, everybody seems to be giving Kathy Hochul a pass as, you know, as Bill de Blasio goes, you know, goes out the door. There's going to be how much are we going to ignore the, you know, what what's coming in to replace, you know, and, and it's, it doesn't matter if it's if it's a woman or a person of color, if they are going to continue the same police mentality. I mean, uh, the same, you know, uh, I, idea of environmental um, racism, that, you know, that is that has been the legacy of so much of even the blue states. You know, everybody thinks that these are just these are just red state issues, and it's not. And and I think it's really important that 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 we step up as people. And and I'm sorry, I'm I'm just not a big fan that says you know or believer in the idea that all you have to do is you know vote and you're gonna and you can solve solve your problems at the ballot box. No, I I, I just well, don't I that. feel like anybody. Anybody who's been paying attention to electoral politics should know that. I mean, for the Biden administration is a perfect example of the betrayal of the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, student loan debt has not been canceled. It will not be canceled. The pandemic is raging. It is worse than ever. People do not have access to any of the resources that they need. Um, also, the Biden administration is still deporting people at uh, rates higher than the Trump administration. Expan- like, expanding pipelines any, and fossil fuel extraction. Expanding yeah. pipelines and fossil fuels is not actually accepting even this Green New Deal that we all know is garbage, but still isn't even moving forward with that. Like, I cannot express to people, um, I, I just like don't understand the disconnect between folks who are still uh, abiding by. Uh, the electoral politics system who are still abiding by a a bipartisan politics system for people who are still maintaining settler colonialism. 
it blows my mind. You have all the proof in the world that it does not work. Well, and the, the, crazy, the craziest part is, is a perfect example of it. Even as I see some people that are that consider themselves on the left get frustrated with with Democrats, they will actually take an honest look and say, well, I guess our alternative is, is to support the Republicans. Then there's there's such a disconnect what? when I hear somebody say that who claims to be on the left and saying, well, maybe our only hope is uh, is the, is the right. Are you freaking kidding me? Because that's the narrow-mindedness no. that exists. No, and, and I'm telling you, I've heard people say it, and it drives me crazy. The only hope is in indigenous sovereignty <laughs> and black liberation. Those are the only hopes that anyone will have in rectifying. And we can't even rectify the harms that have been done, specifically the environmental ones. Like, th those can never be rectified. The earth is is damaged beyond, um, beyond you know, beyond fixing. And if but at least the least we could do if we gave uh, if we gave a shit about this would be to put it back in the hands of the people who care the most about the land um, because we are the most connected to it. Exactly. And because this is because because this is our home. And so for folks who think that electoral politics will save you, I, I truly I laugh in your face. And for and for folks who do not see beyond that. I, I honestly, I find I, I pity them and I also find anger and I can only hope that uh, the the deception of the Biden administration can lead to more radicalization because there is no hope in the right or the left. There's no hope in politics at all. There's only hope in the land and the only people who can steward the land um, are people of color. Like and, and we're here and we've been ready and we've been doing it and we'll continue to do it. Even when all hope is lost, and, and if you're not a person of color, we need your help even more. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, yeah, we, like y'all have we, all the resources and money. So, yeah. like, put your money where your mouth is. Don't give it to a nonprofit. Give it to grassroots organizations. Give it to people that you know. Start to localize that that flow of money and stop giving. You know, stop your tax write-offs to give to like some absurd large nonprofit that does nothing. You know, like or you can give do, to do the we, got a we got a radio station you can give to too. <laughs> yeah, I hey, mean, sure. I, we're just about out of time here, Regan. But I, I do want to wish you um, uh, a safe and you know, I, I forget about prosperous. I don't I don't even go there. But I just want you to have a safe and comfortable New Year. So um, take care of yourself, Reggie. Same thing. I, 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 I want you guys to take care of yourselves. I know New York City is getting crazy all over again. So, I mean, do the best you can to navigate um, your own safety and your own health. And uh, let's, 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 kick, let's kick 2022 in the ass, all right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's get rowdy. There's no other option. <laughs> there is no other option. This is it, y'all. This is yeah. it. I want to thank you guys for listening. I assume we're going to go to, go to news here in a second here. So I want to thank you guys for, for listening. Do support WBAI. Support Resistance Radio. And uh, hey, we'll see you next year, starting next week. This is John Game with Regan Deloggins. <laughs> this is Resistance Radio. Yahweh. <laughs>